Welcome to Blitzcats, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Welcome to another episode of Blitzcast. Ed and Alex, back on the air. And we're going to start with the NFL. We usually do. And there was one game that really caught my eye. But I think it caught everybody's eye. It was the Tampa Bay Bucks against the Green Bay Packers. And I don't think many people expected the Bucks to, to blow out the Packers. Yeah, and this this offense is gelling for the for the Tampa Bay Bucks. I mean, they got Tom Brady, who he's really having a great year, and uh, you know he's he's picked it up since you know sort of week one and week two. So you got you got Brady who's playing well, and then he's got he's got the offense clicking, and you know just all those the, all that talent on that offense is playing well together, and I think that's making a big difference in Tampa Bay. After that debacle against the Chicago Bears, where Brady didn't have his best game, you knew that he was going to turn around and, and play a, a good game against Aaron Rodgers. I'm surprised Aaron Rodgers struggled the way he did. He, he threw those two interceptions and, and never got in a groove. That, I mean, that, this was clearly Aaron Rodgers' worst game. You know, great quarterbacks have bad games. I think that's really what it was. And this Bucks team, I think, is one of the top two or three teams in the NFC. Yeah, this Bucks team, you know what surprised me is that Ronald Jones is a different running back this year. He's just running with the purpose. When they brought in Leonard Fournette, and me including, thought that Fournette was going to take over and be the starting running back. Well, you know what? Ronald Jones has been on a mission the, the past couple of games. He's got over 100 yards on the ground and just... This is a different back from what I saw when he came into the league. He has gotten stronger. He is bouncing off of defenders. He's picking up those hard yards. He's catching the ball out of the backfield. And for all those weapons that they have on the offensive side with Mike Evans and Godwin and Gronkowski and Tom Brady, Ronald Jones has been, he's been a nice surprise. I I, th- I think really just all the pieces on this uh, Tampa Bay offense. I mean, you know, another guy who's playing really well is uh, Tristan Wirfs, the right tackle, the rookie right tackle. I mean, he was their first round pick. They traded up for him. He's a, he's turning out to be a good NFL right tackle already in his rookie year. And you need to. I mean, you need to protect Tom Brady. You need to have a good offensive line because Brady is is not going to hurt you with his feet. According to Bovada Sportsbook, uh, the Tampa Bay Bucks are a three-point favorite away versus the Las Vegas Raiders. So that's the big game, and the Raiders have been a nice surprise as well. You know, the Bucks' defense, I, you know, we keep talking about the offense. We mentioned Ronald Jones and Tom Brady, but it's the Bucks' defense with, it was, it was great. It was amazing. It was able to get to Aaron Rodgers. They were able to to get some sacks. They were able to get pressure. They were able to get him off his mark, uh, you know, let him move outside of the pocket. And that secondary, it came up big. It came up with two interceptions. And the secondary didn't give up any big plays to Devontae Adams as well. That's been the biggest surprise. If the Bucks defense is going to play like this, Ed, they're going to go far in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, one one name I, I want to point out is this is a guy I liked before the draft, um, Jamel Dean, uh, the Auburn Auburn corner. I mean, he's having a great year for the Bucks at corner. 
Yeah, and he had the interception in the second quarter, which kind of changed the momentum of that Bucks packers game because at that time, the Packers had a, a 10 to nothing lead after the first quarter. And the Bucks, I mean, they were struggling on, on both sides of the ball. Jamel Dean came up with the pick, and, and that interception swung the momentum. So I want to give praise to Bruce Arians, Todd Bowles, they're clicking. That offense is going to get into second gear come second half. I, I think they're letting Gronkowski kind of get his groove back, get his legs back, get his conditioning back. And I think Gronkowski is going to be a huge part of this offense come playoff time. I think they're saving him. And I just, this is a dangerous team. Tom Brady chose the right team to go to after he. Didn't have those weapons with the Patriots the past couple of years. He knew that the Bucks were a right fit for him. Yeah, I mean, one thing one thing I want to point out, and I mean, this is too early to say. I mean, we're we're in October, but you know, it's it's looking like. I mean, I, I kind of always had this question in my head: is like, you know, you take Brady out, does you know, does Brady do it without Belichick, or does Belichick do it without Brady? And we're seeing Brady do it without Belichick, which kind of surprised me. I mean, I, I've I've always kind of thought it was you know it was Belichick who was doing it for Brady and. You know, there there was always this kind of argument out there that while while Brady is really kind of overrated and he's he's really just great at playing in uh, you know Belichick's system and you know McDaniel's offense sets things up for him, but really Brady's showing that he can do it with another team and Belichick Belichick isn't. Well, I'm glad we can finally uh, settle that argument. After 20 years, we're finally getting to the bottom of it. Who was a more valuable piece? Bill Belichick or Tom Brady. But to be fair, the Bucks are a better team. Better team overall than what Belichick has with the Patriots right now. Let's get to another game. According to Bovada, the Titans are at home versus the Steelers. But the Steelers are the favorites in this game by minus one and a half. And both teams are 5-0. and oh. Let's talk about the Titans. The Titans are... I mean, you mentioned it to me on, on Skype when we uh, exchanged some notes on Sunday. You said the Titans are a resilient team. Explain yourself. Well, I mean, you talk about the coronavirus outbreak. I mean, they have, they're have they the first team with a coronavirus outbreak. And then, and then there's this kind of rumor out there that the Titans are going to get a huge penalty. I mean, just one that, you know, the Patriots have never seen, that the NFL has never seen before. And it really has, I don't, I don't really have, I haven't heard it come down yet. So, I mean, it was probably just a rumor, but I mean, you know, this team, this team was pretty, pretty much, you know, they were, they were kind of like the a 4-0 team or 3-0 team. They were almost like the, the, the pits of the NFL because they were the first team to have the coronavirus outbreak. And, you know, you, you thought, you thought they weren't, they weren't going to win those games. And, you know, they ended up, they ended up, you know, coming back from those, those two weeks off and playing great football and winning games big. So, and, and again, it's good team. So, you know what I give, I give Vrabel all the credit in the world for keeping this team in, 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 in the game and, you know, just not, just not, not folding, you know, when, when things got tough. I mean, they, they face some, they face some struggles that NFL teams aren't used to facing and, They've really, they've really overcome that, and now they're an independent team. And I, I could, I could very see, well see them defeating Pittsburgh this week. I think the Tennessee Titans are the second best team in the NFL. The first team is the Kansas City Chiefs, and I would actually put the Titans 
number two on my list. Things that they showed against the Texans. They they had the lead 14 to nothing. Uh, they had a couple of field goals that they missed against the Texans, but then they had to come back. They were trailing. Deshaun Watson was playing well. Derrick Henry gained over 200 yards on the ground. Ryan Tannehill played well. And you can make a case that Tannehill is a top three, top five quarterback right now. Just based on the numbers and based on the way he's played since he took over for Marcus Mariota last season. I mean, Ryan Tannehill has rediscovered himself. The only thing I didn't understand, I don't know if you watched that game, but explain this to me, Ed. The Texans took the lead at the end of the fourth quarter. They had a seven-point lead on the Tennessee Titans, 36-29. to All they have to do is kick an extra point and take an eight-point lead. An eight-point lead, thinking it would be tough for the Titans to march down the field, which they did. But after you score the touchdown, you have to go for the two-point conversion. Well, Romeo Cornell the new Texans head coach, decided to ice the game completely the way he explained it later on. He decided to go for the two-point conversion in order to make it a nine-point lead. The Texans failed with that two-point conversion, and they only had a seven-point lead. They obviously left a window for the Titans to score the touchdown, kick an extra point, get into overtime, and the Titans won the game. I haven't seen that in a while. That was really a bogus coaching decision. Well, I'm going to defend that position because you know what? When you when you put your team at the end of the game up nine points, you make it a two possession game. It's it's one of those things where I mean, if you get that two point conversion, you you pretty much you pretty much sealed the game. And it's like when you have the ball in your hands, I think you got to seal the game. That's that's really how you got to coach. You got to be aggressive. Good coaches are aggressive with the with the ball in their hands. I'll never understand that, to be honest. You kick a point after you get an eight-point lead. You know how hard it is for the Titans to to get the touchdown and then the two-point conversion when you know that everybody is expecting it at the stadium? It's really difficult to convert both at the end of the game, and the Titans were just left with the point after, and then the rest was history in overtime. Let's talk about the Steelers. Um, Let's talk about this game. I obviously mentioned that the Titans are playing against the Steelers. The the Steelers are the favorites in this game. Who do you have as the favorite in this game? The Steelers look pretty damn good against the Cleveland Browns. Well, I think the problem with the Steelers is they really haven't played anybody. And, you know, the the storyline that kind of went under the radar with the Browns is the Browns have been playing good football, but their whole team was hurt on Sunday against the Steelers. So, uh, to be honest with you, the Steelers basically played all these teams that aren't doing very well, and then they play the Browns, who were completely beat up. I mean, they had they had everyone from Jarvis Landry to Odell Beckham, who was out for practice, Baker Mayfield. I mean, he was benched, you know, partially because he was injured. I mean, it's not like it's not like Baker Mayfield was just totally playing terrible. It had everything to do with the fact that Baker Mayfield was playing hurt. That's why he was benched. And then you talk about, you know, both their safeties. Ronnie Harrison was 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 out and then uh their you know their their starting safety Carl Joseph was out so it's like you know their whole team was basically injured I mean there were more players also their their right guard who's having a great year I mean he he was out too so it's like what what at what point at what point are the Browns going to win when like all the key pieces on your team are hurt all right I think you're selling your Steelers short you know every week I keep like saying Ed they're three and zero. They're 4-0. 
They're 5-0. and I, I get the feeling they beat the Titans next week, and you say, no, no, no. Let's back this up. They haven't played anyone. Let's see if they can get to 10-0. I just get the feeling that you're like a, a true fan that never wants to pump up his team. They're doing well, but you're always keeping their expectations, and you're always keeping them grounded, as they say, like any head coach would do. I'm sure that's what Tomlin is doing right now. He's saying, hey, guys, we haven't played anyone. Listen to Ed Hunt. We haven't played anyone. All right. I mean, that's you got to give them credit a little bit. I, I get the feeling that you don't want to give them the credit because you don't want to jinx them against the Titans. To be honest with you, I think the Steelers team was going to be good going into the season. I think they are a good team, but I mean, are they better than Baltimore? I think I think they've had an easy schedule, and I think that's why they're ahead of Baltimore right now. If you're if we're being totally honest, I want to see I want to see this team play a good team. I want to see them play. I mean, the next two weeks will tell me everything about the Steelers team. I mean, if they can beat the Titans, if they can go in and play Baltimore, then then I'll sing a different tune. Then I'll be too happy. You'll be sick of me. You won't even want to record these podcasts. I will, because I want to hear it in your voice that the Steelers are a good team. I want you to admit that. Even if you're not admitting it right now, I hope you will admit it after they beat the Titans and beat the Ravens and after they, they go 16-0. and 0. I, I, will you admit it then? I mean, of course, of course. I mean, if they win, if they be, if they beat the Titans this week, then I'm gonna say they they're a great team. Then this is this is our year, you know. Then then I'm gonna start. Then 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 the fanboy out of me is gonna come out. Then things will change. But in, until they, I mean, you know, you talk about beating Philadelphia. You talk about beating the Giants. I mean, these aren't other than the Jets. Like, what bad team haven't they played? Speaking of an ex-Steeler, we talked about Le'Veon Bell last week and we speculated which team he's going to sign with. Ed went with the Browns, I went with the Arizona Cardinals. We struck out. He signed with the Kansas City Chiefs, the Super Bowl champs. Man, this is an ideal spot for Le'Veon Bell. Well, he's going to have to be a backup. I mean, re- realize that this is this was Edward Zelaire's job. I mean, he is he is going to be the guy in Kansas City, and you're asking you're asking Le'Veon Bell to be a team player. I mean, he 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 really wasn't a team player in Pittsburgh. I mean, towards the end of his career in Pittsburgh, he wasn't a team player, and he wasn't a team player in New York. So, what makes me think that he's going to go to Kansas City and all of a sudden become a team player? I mean, can Andy Reid? really change him i mean for a guy who 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 literally you know was given the franchise tag and sat out the whole season for him to all of a sudden come in and buy into andy Reid's system and patrick mahomes i mean i i just i just have some questions i i question the chiefs move there i'm gonna say he's gonna buy in because he's got an opportunity to win a super bowl he's going to the best team in football and he makes them stronger and i think he will buy in he's sick of losing I mean, he was losing with the New York Jets. He's sick of Adam Gase. Now he's got a real coach. Andy Reid coached T.O., and T.O. always said that Andy Reid was his favorite coach. If Andy Reid can tame T.O., he can certainly handle Le'Veon Bell. And I think winning cures everything. Because when the the Steelers won, when Le'Veon Bell was at his peak, you didn't hear much about him. You didn't. He started to become a cancer when... The, the contract issue started to, to come out. And I just, I believe that this is a perfect fit. Even if he's going to be a backup, if you can get 10 or 15 touches or maybe 20 out of Le'Veon Bell, and you and I talked about this, you can line him up in the slot. You can line him up at receiver. You can throw him the ball. They're going to be able to exploit those matchups because whether you have 
Clyde Edwards Hilaire or whether you have Le'Veon Bell on the football field, nobody would know whether they're throwing it or running the football. Andy Reid is is great in terms of being that play caller, in terms of designing plays. I get the feeling Le'Veon Bell is fresh because he hasn't done anything in the last two years. So we're looking at a 28-year-old running back who has kind of got that second life. He's coming there. He's got Patrick Mahomes, the the best player in, in the NFL. The Chiefs are also, this is like insurance policy. Running backs go down all the time. And if Clyde Edwards-Elair goes down, then Le'Veon Bell can spell him or the other way around. And uh, I think this is, I applaud the Chiefs for making this move because they, they had to get a little bit stronger and they get more weapons on the offensive side of the ball, especially what, what they did against uh, Monday night, what they did Monday night against the Bills. We saw what the Kansas City Chiefs are capable of and, and now they're going to get stronger. Let's move on to a quarterback. Uh, the Dolphins made the move for Tua, and he will be the starting quarterback after the bye week. Is this a good move, a bad move? We're finally going to see Tua. We, we've seen Joe Burrow. We've seen Justin Herbert, and those guys have played well so far. Uh, now we get to see the, the former Alabama quarterback. You know, to be honest with you, I, I think you wait a few more weeks with Tua. I mean, I, I, I want I want this guy to get ants in his pants for getting ready to be an NFL quarterback. I mean, I want him to really earn his way into the NFL. I don't want I don't want him to just be given the job because he's the fifth pick in the draft. And I mean eventually you know, eventually we know he's gonna win the job, but I mean I I, I assume he's fully healthy, he's throwing accurately in practice, but uh, you know, I, I, I would still roll with Fitz Magic. I mean he's winning games for you. He is. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick was was playing extremely well. And the Dolphins, what are they now? Three and three? Why ruin a good thing? I mean, the Dolphins got off to a rough start, but they've won a couple of games. And I I agree with you. I I think I would stick with Ryan Fitzpatrick unless if I'm winning, I stick with him. If I'm losing, then I make the switch. Kind of an odd move. This is what you get when you draft a quarterback number five overall. You want to get him on the football field as quickly as as possible. Let's move on from the NFL and talk about college football. We're joined today by Tennessee Vols beat writer Blake Topmeyer, uh, who's from the Knoxville News Sentinel. Welcome to the show. Hey guys, how you doing? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, great, great. We're excited to have you. Um, so it's a big game for the Vols this weekend. We're going to get right to it. What do you think uh, will happen against Alabama? Well, I think this is going to be a, a lopsided Fair. Uh, I mean, we've seen the last couple weeks a lot of uh, a lot of warts pop up for for Tennessee. This looks like a program that's regressed from where it was last season. Um, you know, there's a lot of excitement around Knoxville last year with the way Tennessee finished the year. You know, I mean, it was a disastrous start in 2019 for Tennessee, but then they finished last year on a, on a six-game winning streak. A lot of momentum going into this season. A lot of hopes going into that Georgia game. And, uh, and the wheels fell off and against the Bulldogs. I mean, Georgia helped keep a minute with a lot of mistakes in the first half, uh, but then the second half was just a, a dominating affair for, for Georgia. And in uh, last week's game against Kentucky was a true disaster for Tennessee, uh, so much to the point that, that now they've fired an assistant coach just four games into the season. And, uh, and they got quarterback concerns, um, you know, much like they they have had for the last couple seasons. And so, there's a lot of issues facing Tennessee right now, and, and this is just a, 
it feels like a bad opponent at a, at a bad time. Alabama obviously has, has proven itself to be the class of the SEC this year. According to Bovada, Alabama is favored by 21.5 points against the Vols. What's the key matchup, Blake, in this game? Nobody is asking for the Tennessee Vols to keep it close, but what's the key matchup that you're looking at this week? I'd be curious to see if, if Tennessee's secondary can can slow down those wide receivers at all. I mean, this is, you know, as, as good as Mac Jones is, has been and deserves a lot of credit. I mean, boy, wouldn't wouldn't a lot of quarterbacks like to work with that receiving core? And, uh, you know, Tennessee's had its issues over the middle of the field, especially fending the, the slant passes and, and the button, button hooks over the middle of the field. And that was supposed to be one of the strengths of this defense was the secondary. Tennessee returned. Uh, four or five starters in the def- defensive backfield from last season, um, and yet there's there's been some struggles within that unit, especially like I said on on passes over the middle. The teams have really been targeting that slot corner position. They've been targeting the safeties, the inside linebackers. You know, cornerbacks have played pretty good for Tennessee, uh, but but it's really been through that middle of the field uh, that opponents have really picked on them. Uh, game after game, really, there's really been no exceptions, and you know I think that's going to be a really tall order for uh, for Tennessee's secondary going up against those those receivers. And then offensively, you know, look with, with all the the issues that Tennessee's had at quarterback the last couple weeks, and and frankly last couple seasons, they have to get the running game going. I mean, this was supposed to be the backbone of the team. We, we saw some glimpses of that against Kentucky certainly we saw you know a really good running performance against Missouri but it's been inconsistent you know I think for for Tennessee to have a hope of keeping this game competitive keeping it close it has to be built around the running game and and keep things simple for the quarterback uh, whoever plays you know give them a chance to to maybe take some shots downfield some play action passes Um, but all that's predicated on on establishing you know a, a solid running game. It's one thing to lose to Georgia. Everybody expects that. But it's another thing to to lose to Kentucky. So what happened last Saturday? Yeah, so that was the first loss at Neyland Stadium to Kentucky since 1984. It's a pretty pretty disappointed, pretty frustrated fan base right now. You know, it's interesting. The way the game played out, I thought going into the game that Tennessee was a better team throughout the first quarter that, that sort of – uh, proved my assessment that Tennessee was the better team. Tennessee had two prime scoring opportunities in the first quarter and, and shot itself in the foot both times. One time they forced their own teammate to fumble in a truly bizarre play. But still, after the first quarter, you thought, okay, Tennessee probably should be winning this game, but it's clear they're the better team. You know, they're probably going to take care of business here. And then in the second quarter, uh, Tennessee threw three interceptions, two from starting quarterback. Jarrett Garantano, uh, one from the backup, J.T. Shrout. Uh, two of those three interceptions were returned for touchdowns. And all of a sudden, you looked up the scoreboard, and it was 17 nothing Kentucky without Kentucky's offense really having to do much of anything. <laughs> and, you know, with the way Kentucky controls the tempo, controls the clock, uh, time of possession-wise, you know, they got the ball in the second half, went on this long scoring march, and scored a touchdown, and, and it's 24-7 at that point, and you just sort of felt like the game was over because of the way Kentucky controls the clock, and, and it was. I mean, so much to the extent that Tennessee decided to, to give Harrison Bailey his debut in the fourth quarter, a uh, four-star recruit out of the state of Georgia who came into the game as uh, the fourth-string quarterback. 
Uh, but things went so bad at quarterback for, for Tennessee against Kentucky that uh, Harrison Bailey made his debut. What is, what's your opinion of Jared Garantano, the quarterback? I mean, where do, where do you see him at this point in his career? You know, I think he's a guy that deserves a lot of credit for the way he's he's hung in with this program. I mean, this is a guy that's endured a lot of losses, a lot of criticism, taken a lot of hits in his career. I, I think he has a pretty established ceiling that, that's not all that high. I think we've we've seen enough of him as the 29 game starter. There's there's really no mysteries with him at this point, and and he certainly has a uh, a ceiling of limitations. That being said, there are times where he's a pretty effective game manager, at least, and he can test defenses with his with his downfield passing ability. Like this is not a game manager in the mold of Stetson Bennett, who, who really has no ability to stretch the field. Uh, Garantano is someone who can throw a pretty good deep ball. He can stretch the defense. He also sort of just implodes at really inexplicable times sometimes. You know, I mean, he can, everything could be going along fine, and, and then, you know, one mistake sort of balloons into two or three, and, and next thing you know, he, he's taking his team out of, out of the game. And so, you know, he's really kept the quarterback position sort of as other guys have taken themselves out of it. You know, I mean, Tennessee tried four different quarterbacks last season, uh, if you include one game where they started Juwan Jennings and a Wildcat. So they started four different players at quarterback last year. Garantano lost the job and got it back really as much as people around him failing to take it as, as anything he did. He did play well off the bench, but but just as much in that was, was other guys failing to take the job. And, and this year it's sort of been the same thing. Like, you know, as much as it's been Garantano keeping the job, it's been other guys failing to take it away from him. And that's really long-term, the, the, the answer or, or the question that this program must answer. Uh, can Jeremy Pruitt and this, and this staff uh, recruit and develop quarterbacks? Up to this point in his tenure, we, we've seen no evidence of that. Now, it's, the jury is, is it's still too early, um, obviously, to, to make a ruling on Harrison Bailey. The guy's thrown four career passes. He's a four-star recruit. Perhaps he can be the answer. You know, if so, then, you know, then the future looks much, much brighter for Tennessee. And I think we'll learn more about Harrison Bailey in the back half of the season and, and whether he can be the answer, because 2021 is a very important season for this program. You know, it'll be the fourth year of Jeremy Pruitt's tenure. Uh, he's had several pretty well-regarded recruiting classes, but he's got to find a quarterback. And, um, and, and they're, you know, unless Jarrett Garantano comes back for a sixth season, which I find unlikely, um, you know, he, he's going to have to find an answer in, in somebody else going forward. Do you get the feeling that the team will make a switch at quarterback in the next couple of games at least if Garantano continues to, to struggle? I think really at this point all options are kind of on the table. I don't think Jeremy Pruitt wanted or expected to get to this point, certainly not this early in the season. You know, I, it feels like deja vu for Tennessee You know, when they, they started four different players at quarterback last season. Garantano lost the job. No one else could really could hold on to it. He regained it. You know, Tennessee's defense really carried him down the backstretch of that season. Uh, but Garantano had some good moments down that backstretch, too. Uh, it sort of feels like kind of the same deal this year. Uh, you know, it was Garantano's job to lose. Now he's in danger of losing it. But if he does, I'm not so sure he won't regain it back. Um, but I, I do think this is a year where we're, we're going to see multiple guys start at quarterback for Tennessee. I think Garantano is going to be the starter against Alabama. 
Uh, I don't think they're ready to make the switch at this point. I think we're going to continue to see Harrison Bailey maybe, you know, get some playing time. I don't. I wouldn't rule out Brian Maurer or J.T. Shroud either. You know, Maurer's a guy that made four starts last year. We haven't seen him yet this season. He was limited in the preseason by a hamstring injury. Just never has really been able to get in the flow of things this year. Uh, but I, I don't. I don't rule out you know him possibly making a start in the back half of the season. I think we could see a little more playing time for J.T. Shroud. I mean, it's it's really been such a mess at the quarterback position the last two weeks for Tennessee. Uh, and the quarterbacks have accounted for seven turnovers in the past two games. Um, it, it's been such a mess the last two weeks that, that I really think all options could be on the table. Uh, Blake Topmeyer is with us. He covers the Tennessee Vols for the Knoxville News Sentinel. Tell us about the one-two combo of Eric Gray and Ty Chandler. Uh, how do they complement each other? Well, they're sort of similar type backs. Eric Gray's a little bit more, a lot, a lot more of a factor in the pass game than Chandler is. Um, he's a pretty good route runner. can make catches over the middle of the field. But in terms of as ball carriers, they're pretty similar. Uh, they both got uh, pretty high-end speed. You know, if given a hole, they can, they can slip through the crease and, and make a pretty nice play out of it. Eric Gray's a little more shifty than I think Chandler is. Chandler's much more of a, of a one-cut-and-go type back. I think Gray, you know, it's kind of a, a double-edged sword with, with Gray. You know, some really eye-opening plays with his shiftiness. Other times, I think Jeremy Pruitt would like to see him just uh, at the end of the run, uh, rather than dancing around, just lower your shoulder and, and try to get two extra yards on top of your run, you know. But he does have a lot of ability. I think he's, if you look at the guy's, Jeremy Pruitt has recruited and developed since he's been here. So far, the, the crown jewels are Eric Gray uh, on the offensive side and then Henry Toa Toa on defense, the middle linebacker, who's just been really, really good, and, and he needs other guys to emerge around him uh, for this defense to, to be what it was last season. But, you know, really, if, if you want to point to to signs that, that Pruitt can recruit and develop talent, that those two guys are, um, are sort of chief examples uh, that, that he can point to. Moving down to the defense, um, can you tell me about uh, Henry Tuoto? What does he mean to this defense? Well, yeah, I mean, he, he's, the, he's the focal point. And um, last season, he was the wingman to Daniel Batuli. Uh, Daniel Batuli led Tennessee in tackles for three years in a row. And, and Toto was the understudy to him. It, it, they, were, they were both starters, um, both inside linebacker starters. But, but now... Toto has shifted from sort of that, that Robin to Batman role, and I think it suits him. Um, this guy's an excellent run stuffer. Um, he, he proved that last season and, and has really continued to show that this year. Um, he's gotten in a little better shape this season. He, he still kind of had some of that freshman baby fat last year, uh, but this guy has really grown into, I think, grown into his body. Looks like an SEC player now, not just with his ability, but, but with his physique. And He's a great run stuffer. He's still a little bit susceptible in pass coverage. I think that's an area of his game that, you know, is sort of the next step for him. But certainly, you know, this this guy is, is the person that they, they hang their hat on defensively. They need more Henry Toa on this defense, you know. Um, he's a grade-A talent. He could probably start for, for any team in the SEC, um, which is saying something, you know, with the, the defense that, uh, that Georgia has. But, uh, Toto would fit right in with that defense, and, and they, they simply need more players like him. We're curious, uh, how does a guy from Northern California wind up all the way in Tennessee? Well, there was a connection there with, with Kevin Simon, player development guy on this staff, you know, who, who had a connection with, with Toa Toa at his high school there. 
Um, and then also it was a really re- good recruiting job by Brian Niedermeyer. Now, <laughs> it's interesting, he's now Toa's position coach. He's the inside linebackers coach now. But when he recruited him, he was actually Tennessee's tight ends coach. He's a guy that in the offseason flips sides of the ball, so he's now coaching him. Um, but when he was recruiting him, he was recruiting him, despite Toto being a linebacker, the, the tight ends coach was his primary recruiter. But that sort of speaks to what they think of Brian Niedemeyer as a recruiter. This this guy has, has proven himself to probably be the top recruiter on this staff. He's the youngest member of the staff. Um, I think, um, you know, he, he seems to relate pretty well to high school prospects and, and really some of the top talent that Tennessee has landed during the Jeremy Pruitt era. Uh, if you look down and see who the, the primary recruiter was, it was Brian Niedemeyer. And, and again, these are oftentimes guys that are not headed to the position where he coaches. Um, they, they sort of can sometimes send him in uh, as a bit of an ace recruiter to recruit guys that, that play any position. And, and so, yeah, Toa Toa being here was is really sort of a testament to him. So we talked about this earlier, but uh, they fired their defensive line coach, Jimmy Bromba, um, after four games. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I think it was a, a problem really dating back to the preseason. It, it just never seemed like a good fit for Tennessee. It never seemed like Jeremy Pruitt was getting what he wanted out of that unit. Uh, I mean, you date back to the preseason, and, and Jeremy Pruitt was really critical of the defensive line. He was critical of the defensive line again after the Kentucky game. Uh, now, granted, I, I did not expect this move at this juncture of the season. You know, we're talking about a guy that was just hired in February. He's four games into his, his coaching tenure um, at Tennessee, and, and now he's out the door, and Tennessee owes him more than $830,000 in severance uh, at a time when you know the athletic department obviously is expecting tens of millions of dollars in revenue losses uh, due to the pandemic. So certainly curious timing, I think, to happen this early in the season. I think it's indicative that it was not a good fit between Pruitt and Brumbaugh. You know, if it, it was interesting, there, there's a connection there. Um, Jeremy Pruitt knows Jimmy Brumbaugh going back several years. They played against each other in college. Uh, Jimmy Brumbaugh's son attended University of Alabama football camps when Jeremy Pruitt was on staff there. And Jimmy Brumbaugh worked several seasons with Tennessee defensive coordinator Derek Ansley when both of them were on Mark Stoops' staff at Kentucky. And so there is a lot of history, not only with Pruitt, but with Ansley. Jeremy Pruitt said in March... You know they were they were so excited about Brumbaugh that didn't interview anybody else for the position. Like it was, it was Brumbaugh's job if he wanted it, he took it. They were they were thrilled to get him. And then four games into the season, you know Pruitt's talking about how, um, you know it's it wasn't a good fit from a philosophical standpoint. Obviously that that raises some concerns there, some issues there. I mean this is a guy that Pruitt knew. You know you would think that these types of things would have been ironed out on the front end. And, and that wasn't the case. And, and now um, the university stuck with a bill, uh, you know, close to a million dollars uh, for, for a guy that only coached two, uh, four games during, during his tenure. And now Jeremy Pruitt's going to coach, um, which I think Pruitt is fully capable of doing, even, even though, you know, his forte really is coaching defensive backs. This is a guy with a lot of knowledge all over on the defensive side of the ball. But where I see is the bigger issue with that is it's not so much Pruitt coaching the defensive line. But if you got your head coach serving as a position coach, that's really taking him away from other units of the team that might also need his attention. 
Um, and so, you know, that could be an issue for Tennessee moving forward uh, is with him now having to spend so much time with the defensive line. It does take his attention, you know, away from, from other areas of the roster. Well, we will see if Jeremy Pruitt can improve that defensive line as a whole and I hope the defense will play better. But there is one guy that's been surprising to everyone. That's DeAndre Johnson. Outside of the program, not many people knew about him. Did you expect a breakout year from him? I did not. I, I did expect one from Kevon Bennett, um, son of Cornelius Bennett, the former Buffalo Bills linebacker. I thought Kevon Bennett really came on strong at the end of last season, opposite of Daryl Taylor, and we've continued to see that. Uh, Bennett's been one of the best players on this defense all year. Um, but one of the other really solid players on this defense has, has been DeAndre Johnson, who you just mentioned. And he's the one that I, I, I didn't see this happening. You know, I mean, both those guys have been really good for Tennessee. Um, but DeAndre Johnson was just sort of lurking in the background uh, for the last several seasons. This is a, this is a Butch Jones recruit, uh, you know, someone that's been in the program for a long time. It was just sort of the – you know, that, that guy on the two deep that, you know, a lot of times Tennessee plays three outside linebackers a lot. And then there was sort of DeAndre Johnson as kind of the fourth guy on the, on the two deep. Um, and he really didn't think that much about him. And, and I knew he would have the first chance at the starting job this year, you know, as that second outside linebacker. But, you know, I, I'll be honest, I, I didn't have high expectations for him. I thought we might see a, a freshman, you know, a few games into the season, perhaps replace him. But, I mean, he's been excellent, and, and, you know, he's talked about how he's really committed himself in the offseason to, to getting himself right mentally, physically. This is a guy that, as a senior, actually moved back into the dorms uh, for a period of time. You know, he's out of the dorms now, but he, he lived in the dorms for a few months to really try to just focus himself in and, and limit distractions uh, leading up to this final season, and I think that's a pretty savvy move, really. Um, you know, if you feel like you're, you're not focusing well enough off campus, uh, you know, be the, be the uh, senior citizen, so to speak, in the dorms. Go back in there, really cut down on your distractions and, and get yourself right. And, and it seems like that's really paid dividends for him. Uh, certainly, you know, first couple games was just an absolute menace uh, rushing the quarterback. And, and unfortunately for Johnson, had a, had a bad targeting penalty uh, in week three and then really wasn't particularly effective uh, in week four, but if he can regain that form, he showed the first couple weeks of the season, you know, that would be a great benefit for Tennessee because that's one thing they need. They need more pass rush, and he's proven to be a guy that can do it. If we're looking at the bigger picture, um, has Jeremy Pruitt turned this program around? He has not. That's an issue, you know, going forward for Pruitt. I mean, he, he did receive a contract extension and a raise just a month ago, so this is a guy that obviously Tennessee is, is committed to, and I think felt pretty good about at the end of last season but there are still a lot of concerns with Pruitt I I think you know I mean you look at his tenure and already on his resume is a loss to Georgia State in the season opener last year Um, he's now suffered the first loss to Kentucky inside Neyland Stadium since 1984 Um, and he's 0-7 against Tennessee's three chief rivals now, obviously, those are three really good teams in Alabama, Georgia, and Florida. But not only is he 0-7 against those three teams, he's 0-7 with all seven of those losses occurring by at least three touchdowns. Um, so there's been no uh, sign that that he's closing the gap uh, with those three rivals. And I know that feels like a high bar, but that is 
the expectation at Tennessee. You know, this is not a program that feels like it, it should be suffering three touchdown losses um, to those three teams year after year after year after year. Um, and so he has to close the gap um, with those teams. He can't lose ground in the SEC East. And the biggest challenge for him remains uh, recruiting and developing quarterbacks. I mean, as you guys know, in this, in this day and age of college football, it is really, really difficult to be one of the better teams in college football or even to, to just be in the top half of your conference if you don't have uh, a quality starting quarterback. I mean, we saw at LSU last year um, what a difference, you know, a high-level quarterback can make and, and what the loss of him, you know, means. Obviously, there's a lot of factors going into LSU's downturn this year. But, but that has to be priority number one for Jeremy Pruitt, and, and that's why – you know, I think so many people are curious to see more of Harrison Bailey in the back half of the season and see, can this be the guy um, that is the answer for Tennessee at quarterback? And if he's not the answer, uh, then they better hope that 2021 recruit Caden Salter is. Um, because we've seen now, Jeremy Pruitt is in year three. By year four, um, you have to show that, that you can have developed somebody at the quarterback position. Uh, up to that point, we haven't seen it. We've seen good signs from Pruitt elsewhere. You know, this defense was was really stout at the back half of last season. Um, but the caveat to that was the three best players on that defense last year, who are now gone, were all Butch Jones recruits and Daniel Batuli, Daryl Taylor, and Nigel Warrior. Uh, and so now the question for Pruitt is, can he win with a defense that's full of his recruits, and can he also develop a quarterback? And, and those are two big questions that. You know, I think he can answer. Uh, I'm not saying that Jeremy Pruitt isn't the guy, um, but I'm more saying he he is he has not yet proven that he is. Well, Blake, can you tell our listeners where they can find your work? Yeah, I'm at knoxnews.com, and then you can find me on Twitter at btopmeyer. That's Topmeyer with two Ps. Well, uh, thanks for being on the show, and uh, take care. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. All right. Blake Topmeyer obviously believes that Alabama is – going to crush the Tennessee Vols, and I agree with him. And that leads me to my next question. We've seen two teams in college football completely obliterate everyone this year, and they've done it over the past couple of years. I mean, they've ruled this college football mecca. It's the Alabama Crimson Tide and the Clemson Tigers. Can they be beat? You know, I, I think this this Clemson team, of the two, I think this Clemson team is on an island. I mean, you got Trevor Lawrence, who is pretty much the Heisman favorite with everybody right now. And you've got, you know, you've got Travis Etienne, who's, you know, probably one of the better, one of the, you know, top two or three backs in college football right now. You've got a defense that's playing well enough to win. I mean, they're they're still they're beating teams by a lot because their defense is showing up. I think this Clemson team is really the unbeatable one. Bavada takes sports betters closer to the action. It's fun, it's safe, and it's fast. It's sports betting made easy. Yeah, I think the only team that can challenge the Clemson Tigers this year, and they've got a game in a couple of weeks. It's the Notre Dame Irish. What do you think about that? The Irish didn't look good against Louisville. That was a horrible performance on the offensive side of the ball. If you saw that game, they won the game 12 to 7. But the reason why I say Notre Dame has a shot, that defense is outstanding. They have to put like 30 or 35 points in order to beat Clemson. But the Irish are playing really good football on the defensive side of the ball. 
I, I, I still I mean they have they have some offensive pieces. I think the Irish will be a good top ten team this year, but I just when you compare them to a team like Clemson, I mean I don't think they could even beat Alabama. Um, to be honest with you, I, I, I don't I don't I don't see them winning the ACC, and so I, I really don't see them going to the college football playoff this year. If no, Notre Dame is a good team, sure they're a top ten team in in college football, but they they are not on the Clemson or Alabama level. Well, their offense has struggled this far, and they've got to get better. Uh, but the one thing, they can slow down some offenses out there, and I think they can slow down Clemson. I'm not saying they're going to win. This game, by the way, is on November 7th, and Notre Dame is number three right now in the polls. They're up there, and the only reason they're up there is because the Big Ten hasn't played yet. When Ohio State has its game, I'm sure they're going to rise. Let's talk about Alabama. So Clemson is is going to march on, according to you, they're going to march on to the college football playoff. And right now, they should be the favorites to win it all. But the way Alabama has played the last couple of weeks, especially against Georgia, it, it would be impossible to, to stop that offense as well. Yeah, I just I just don't think Alabama has that stronghold that they've had on college football for the past like you know seven years. I just I, I just think I just think you know Clemson Clemson's been their main rival in the past seven years, and Clemson Clemson is a better team this year. Sure, I mean Alabama is you know they have they have plenty of talent on defense. They've recruited well on defense. They you know they have a good team. You know they have good offensive linemen, Leatherwood. Um, you know they have a good offensive line. They have a good team around Mac Jones, and Mac Jones is executing for them. So I, I give them that. He's a smart quarterback. He does the job for Alabama. So sure, certainly this is a good team. It's it's good all around. But just when when, when you go Mac Jones versus Trevor Lawrence, I mean how 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 do you how do you not go Trevor Lawrence? This is not about quarterback versus quarterback. This is about we're talking about the whole team. You know that Alabama always has a game plan under Nick Saban, how to slow down. They will take somebody away. They probably wouldn't take away Trevor Lawrence, but they'll try to eliminate Travis Etienne, kind of like the Bill Belichick school of thinking. Eliminate one star and uh, try, try to exploit another. Drop back into coverage. You know, don't bring the blitz, kind of what Belichick has been doing with Patrick Mahomes. And Saban coached under Bill Belichick with the Browns for a few years as his defensive coordinator. I always say that Saban always has a few tricks up up his sleeve because he's been there and he has beaten Clemson before in the past couple of years. And that would be a fun matchup. I'm looking at Alabama's schedule. It looks like a joke. I I realize that there's going to be a slip up somewhere. But they've got LSU on November 14th, but they've got a bye week before that. They've got Auburn uh, that Thanksgiving weekend. I don't think that's going to happen the way Auburn is playing right now. I don't think anybody will challenge Alabama until the SEC championship game on December 19th. And we'll see whether it's going to be Georgia or whether Florida is going to bounce back. Clearly the two best teams right now. We haven't seen Ohio State yet. I'm sure we might be singing a a different tune in a couple of weeks after we see the Buckeyes and how they're clicking on offense and how they've got arguably the the second-best quarterback in the entire college football in Justin Fields. But we haven't seen them yet, so we're talking about the two teams that have impressed us so far. Speaking of a team slipping, 
North Carolina Tar Heels reached the number five ranking in the polls. But last weekend, they lost to Florida State. That was really unexpected. I, I didn't see that coming. And, and North Carolina was gaining, but in the first half, they, they fell behind like 31 to 7. That was just, that was a huge hole to get out of. Yeah, I mean, they were, they were down 31 to 7, and that was actually in the second quarter. And I, I thought I thought one of the problems was that Sam Howell, uh, UNC's quarterback, didn't play a particularly good game. Well, I think that uh, Florida State shut down their wide receivers. They they shut down Daz Newsom. They shut down Deami Brown, and I think that was the key. Uh, they also, you know, they they had some luck uh, blocking those punts. They played some really good special teams, and, and Florida State really just went out. I mean, I give them credit. They looked dead in the beginning of the season, but this is a signature win in Mike Norvell's first season. And switching to Jordan Travis, that was a smart move. He's not going to wow you in terms of his throwing, and that, that's definitely his Achilles heel, but the guy gives you dual threat ability. And Florida State relied on its running game. They continued to, to run with Jordan Travis. They almost blew that lead, but they, they had such a such a big lead going into it that I was also glad to see Marvin Wilson. He played well in the second half. Janarius Robinson, Josh Kando. The defensive line harassed Sam Howell and he, he definitely didn't have a good day. The Big Ten is back. The big game this weekend in the Big Ten. According to Bavada, the Michigan Wolverines are minus three point favorites uh, versus Minnesota. The Big Ten season is opening up. What do you think about this game? I mean, Harbaugh needs that signature win, but the Gophers, they're still not getting the respect after winning, what, 10 or 11 games last year? Well, I, th- I think Harbaugh is, you know, pretty much, he's coaching for his job, and I think that's one of the reasons why I think Michigan wins this game, and that's why I'm going to pick Michigan. And, I mean, Co- Harbaugh, Harbaugh has to win this game. I mean, when you talk about when you talk about the disappointment and the expectations he's had and you know, Harbaugh is going to want to hold on to this job. I mean, he has a sentimental connection with the city of Ann Arbor, with the Michigan Wolverines. He's going to he's going to want to hold on to this job. I mean, at least if he at least if he goes out, at least go out with a bang. I I realized that nobody is was lining up to to make him the head coach in the NFL, but he was going to get another crack at it because all the things that he did with the San Francisco 49ers. I mean, he led that team to a Super Bowl. And if you really built that team, and I know that NFL teams, they're still looking in his direction because Harbaugh has had success, but he wanted to go back to Michigan. He was a quarterback there. He hasn't accomplished those things. He hasn't won a national championship. He hasn't gotten that Big Ten championship. He hasn't beaten Ohio State, and that's been huge as well. I mean, that's a huge rivalry. You know, he's going to have to rely on on Joe Milton. And we saw Joe Milton last year. He was a four-star recruit. He's going to be the starting quarterback this year. This guy looks like a Cam Newton clone. I just hope that he's going to play like it this year. Because if he doesn't, then then Harbaugh is out the window. I'm going to pick Minnesota. You know, I, I have to say, I mean, they've got Tanner Morgan, a quarterback. They've got Rashad Bateman, who is my top wide receiver in this draft. And I, out of all the guys, I mean, Bateman is the top guy that, that I've got on my board, underclassmen or seniors. 
I just think Minnesota has the weapons. I mean, they have that team that they had last year. They didn't lose a lot of guys except for maybe like Antoine Winfield in the secondary. I think this team is primed to, to make another run at it. They're going to be one of those teams that, that's going to challenge Ohio State along with, you know, Wisconsin and along with Michigan. But I'm going to pick the Gophers in this game. All right, one final topic to get to, and let's talk about quarterback, another quarterback, Zach Wilson from BYU. This is a guy that wasn't even considering BYU before his senior year. And then all of a sudden he had a change of heart and decided to to pick a school close to his home. Man, this guy has been on fire this season. Uh, I realize that BYU hasn't played anyone. I just want to get that out there. But he is a big reason why uh, BYU is is playing so well in the early part of this season. I mean, he, he has had some great games. I mean, there was one game. I mean, he almost completed every pass he threw. I mean, granted, it wasn't against a great team. But, I mean, this guy this guy is an accurate passer. This is a guy who, you know, understands BYU's offense. And, you know what, sure, they, sure they rely on short passing. And, they you know, you know they can be dynamic and with, you know, Gunnar Romney. But... To be honest with you, I think I think this team I th- I think this is a really good quarterback who maybe just fell under the radar before the season. Continue uh, to explain why you're so high on Zach Wilson. Well, the name that comes to mind is the way he the way he scrambles out of the pocket and the pocket awareness he has and the way he just knows how to avoid pass rushers. It it just it just sort of and, and the way he just throws the ball on the run and you know sets his feet and gets a you know buys himself time it really kind of reminds me of Patrick Mahomes and a little bit of Ben Roethlisberger early in his career I just it just but more Patrick Mahomes I mean I'm not saying he's 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 going to have the career of Patrick Mahomes but I mean he is that type of quarterback I think I think teams are are more open to this type of quarterback who you know maybe maybe doesn't need to rely on a great offensive line who can buy himself time. You know who has receivers who can improvise, and I think I, I think he's very effective doing what he's doing. And I think at an NFL level where the game is just faster, I think Zach Wilson can really succeed. He reminds me of Johnny Manziel in college. All right, forget about the off the field baggage. Johnny Manziel in terms of his playing style, rolling out of the pocket, having mobility, throwing really well on the run, improvising. His body type screams Johnny Manziel because he's 6'2", 205. Manziel was a little bit shorter, but he's skinny. I mean, he's really skinny. There's there's no way he looks like Patrick Mahomes in terms of his body type. But I understand what you're saying. I mean, Mahomes was also one of those guys. He had that mobility. He still has it. Uh, He improvises well, can make some of those insane throws. The one thing that Zach Wilson has over Johnny Manziel is he's got a stronger arm. You wouldn't expect that from a shorter, skinnier type of guy, but he's always had that. He throws bullets. He can throw it into tight windows, something that Johnny wasn't able to do in college. He didn't have that big arm. And it's not all about going downfield. It's about just having that velocity to throw it into that tight window. Sometimes that gets him in trouble. And this year, he's been a lot better with his decision-making. But last year, if you turn on the Washington game, there was a Washington game at the end of the season when he came back from the injury he recovered from. And he just, he wasn't 100%, you could see, but he was forcing it. 
Washington is obviously one of the better defenses every year, and, and BYU was no match for the Huskies, but he didn't rise to the occasion. He forced throws, and it's out there. You, you can check out this game and see what I'm talking about because there are a number of times he just threw the ball in harm's way, and it didn't result in interceptions because the Huskies dropped a couple of them. And Zach Wilson, sometimes that gets him in trouble. This year, he's been a different quarterback. He's making good decisions. He's no longer forcing the ball into coverage. But I want to see him against the better defenses. I want to see him against Boise State when they play that game in the middle of November. Boise State is not a great defense, but they're going to score like 35, 40 points because they always do. And I want to see him at the end of the year against San Diego State. San Diego State always has a good defensive team, and that's what I want to see. I want to see him against better competition because, let's be fair, Zach Wilson and BYU, they haven't played anyone yet. I mean, I'll admit when I turn on the film, I mean, I'm looking at, I'm looking at him playing UTSA and playing LA, you know, Louisiana Tech. These aren't, uh, you know, I mean, this is in Alabama and Clemson for sure. But at the at the same time, I mean, you know, I I, I kind of remember like the Mahomes days, and w- when you talk when you talked about him, you know, coming out of Texas Tech, and one of the things they said about him was, well, he really hasn't played anybody, you know, he, you know, he hasn't really dominated against good competition, and I just say I just think that style of quarterback is effective and pre- against really good teams because even though even though teams will be able to get after Zach Wilson in the NFL, I mean, I think Zach Wilson is able to. To basically survive that type of thing, I think his game plays into a way where he can, he can, he can be effective. Where he can use the checkdowns, he can, he can, you know, he can move, he can scramble, he can, you know, fit passes into tight windows. I think he would have a good time against tough competition. Big Twelve is much better competition than what BYU has faced. I'm just playing devil's advocate. I like Zach Wilson. I like him, but I want to see him play against better competition which he will this season because when i turned on the tape on 2019 i didn't see zach wilson he had a bad game against washington turn on the tape and see what i'm talking about and another thing he's had injuries he's had shoulder injury uh he's been banged up and during his freshman season i think he got shoulder surgery after that freshman year and then as a sophomore he also had an injury again making bad decisions, throwing a lot of picks. I think he had like 11 touchdowns and nine interceptions during his sophomore year. But I want to reiterate, so far through the first four or five games of the season, I've seen a different Zach Wilson. He knows where to go with the football. He's making better decisions. And he's got everything that you're looking for in a next-level quarterback. He's got the arm strength. He's got the accuracy. He's got the mobility. He's got the pocket awareness. He just has to get stronger. Because when you look at him, I mean, he needs to put on, I know he's put on about, I think I read somewhere he's put on about 11 pounds this offseason. He needs to put on another 10, 15 pounds before he enters the NFL. I I look down at my scouting report and I just... I really, I really can't find a, a thing that I really, I really, you know, haven't seen Zach Wilson do against against maybe the competition he's done. I think if there's one thing about him is is that I think sometimes he can be really effective under pressure, and that's one of the things that I like about him. 
But I, I mean, one thing is, is that I, I think he can, I think if you blitz him and I think he can, I think he can get a little bit, you know, check downy and kind of, you know, a lot of short passes and get kind of conservative, you know, when you blitz him. But other than that, I really, I really just, I don't see a weakness in his game. So where do you rate him right now out of all the quarterbacks that have entered the draft or will enter the draft? You've got Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields. Do you have Zach Wilson at number three right yeah, now? Yeah, I, I have him as my number three. You know, I mean, Trevor Lawrence is hard to... I mean, Trevor Lawrence is the best quarterback prospect of the last... You know, since Andrew Luck, basically. I mean, you could, you could even make... You could even compare the two. You know, you got Justin Fields, who, who, who probably has been the best college football quarterback. I mean, just, just such a winner for, you know, Ohio State. And, and he was a great high school player, too. So you got you got Justin, Justin Fields. And then you got, you got Zach Wilson, who I think is... Probably not going to be as, you know, he's not going to be the guy that ESPN and NFL Network are talking about. But I think he's going to have a great career in the NFL. And then I think you can go and get a guy like Trey Lance. So you know what? Teams like the Giants, teams like the Jets, teams like Washington, you're you're in an okay position right now. I think there, 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 are, there are players to get in this draft that can change your franchise around. You know, you can, you can, go, you can go and get your quarterback. You know, you can hope... You can hope for the best in, in drafting offensive line, and if there's a year to be quarterback needy and to have a bad year, it's this year. They say that every year, and every team is trying to convince themselves that, hey, we didn't address the quarterback position last year, but this is a better quarterback crop. We'll see. Let's remind our listeners that Zach Wilson is a junior, so technically we'll see what transpires the rest of the season but that doesn't mean that he's going to come out after this junior year especially with all the quarterbacks that are bound to come out and that's Lawrence and Justin Fields and Trey Lance has already uh, put his name out there in the 2021 NFL draft so the future is bright and remember for all those dinosaurs like myself BYU used to be quarterback U they used to have Ty Detmer they used to have Steve Young back in the day. I know it's been a long time. So Zach Wilson is kind of bringing that. A BYU quarterback, a shorter, undersized quarterback that, that's doing some incredible things out there. And we all know the, the type of career that, that Steve Young eventually had in the NFL with the San Francisco 49ers. So keep an eye on Zach Wilson. He's certainly going to gain a lot more traction and a lot more attention moving forward, especially after he plays that game against Boise State. Thank you for listening to another episode of Blitzcast. Take care.